Hey, it's Dave Broadbeck here, your friendly neighborhood statistics professor. So this is a lecture for the 22, winter 22 academic year, our term, um, and it is Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. We used to call this course um, Design and Analysis 1, which is clearly the stupidest course name ever had by any university for a course. So we, we changed it. Uh, so it's advanced university statistics. It's mostly just analysis of variance. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble. I hope you enjoy this. It's an advanced stats course. The chance of you enjoying it is vanishingly small, but I hope it's instructive. Okay, so um, I'll just probably go back a slide here for a sec. So oh, that's a little off. That's fine. I don't care. The projector being a little off is better than nothing working at all. Okay. So actually, let's go back even further. Right, the expected values. That's, that's where we left off, right? So if you remember, for the simple ANOVA, the expected value of mean square treatment is, is uh, epsilon or error plus tau treatment. So we would just divide mean square treatment by mean squared error to find out if we have an effect of the treatment, right? Okay. So let's, we have to do the same thing for mean squared A, mean squared B, and mean squared AB, and of course mean squared error. These are going to come out exactly as you would expect rotate this mic a bit. There we go. 
the expected value of mean squared a is a divided by epsilon, alpha divided by epsilon. So in other words, it's the effect of a, the variance due to a, variable a, plus error variance. B, well, this shouldn't surprise you, is beta plus epsilon, the, the B variance plus error. Interaction, alpha beta is the variance due to the interaction plus error variance. And mean squared error is epsilon. Again, just like you'd expect. Okay. So, questions about that? Like, it's, it's, shouldn't surprise us. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to isolate. The idea here is to kind of sort of isolate the effect we're interested in. So we're interested in alpha or beta or alpha beta, right? We want to know if there's an mean effect of A, a mean effect of B, or an interaction. We end up by division. So it looks to me like we divide by mean squared error and we're fine. We're going to do, as I said the other day, three F tests, one for A, one for B, one for AP. Yay! Everybody's happy. And the crowd goes wild. Yay. Ah, of course there's a however. Isn't there always a however? This ex these expected values are only the case if you're interested in, per in particular values of A and B. And you have in your experiment, and you have no interest in any other values. So if you're doing this out of analysis, which you would do, I mean, I think all three of my honor students are probably, no. Two of my three honor students are doing uh, factorial ANOVA kind of design in their honor students. Every year, people are doing this kind of design. It's very common. If you go to the honors thesis uh, conference, you'll see that um, it's always like that. It's a very common design, a two by two, three by three, whatever. Then people extrapolate and they say, okay, we're interested in, uh, what's our running example? It's retention interval and levels of processing. So retention intervals of five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. And they show you a graph and it shows five minutes and then it goes down to one hour and then way down to 24 hours. And the, the lines are connected and technically they shouldn't be. Because this analysis only works if those levels of that independent variable are the only levels you're interested in. You're not interested at all in the levels in the middle. What? Huh. It's actually called a fixed effects model. And in fact, it is the most common kind of analysis that people use. It's a fixed effects model. What if we randomly chose the levels? Yeah, the opposite of this is going to be, it's all fixed, one's going to go random. What if we randomly chose our levels? So instead of five minutes, one hour, 24 hours, we, we chose three levels out of a hat. And we had a thousand different possible levels. Or we wrote a computer program for a better using a random number table to choose our different levels of our independent variables. So we got like two minutes a day, and a week and a half. I don't know whatever the hell they mean. So what if we randomly chose them? And if you think about this for a second, that's probably going to change the math that's the basis of this. It's not a source of variation, but it's going to change the way variance happens. That's probably the best way to put this. So that's called a random effects model. 
And the, the expected values for the mean squares are different with a random text model because you've got something else going on. You're randomly choosing levels. So the expect, for a random effects model, if you've chosen all your levels of your two, let's say our two variables A and B, we've chosen them randomly. The expected value of mean squared A is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon. The expected value for mean squared B is beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. Notice how the interaction is always in there now. Weird, right? The expected value for alpha beta, the interaction is alpha beta plus epsilon. And the expected value for error, for mean squared error, is epsilon. And again, what you're trying to do, think about this, you're trying to sort of isolate what you're interested in. You want to find one thing to divide by the other so we can only find the effect of A or the effect of B of the interaction. So in this case, we're going to divide mean squared A by mean squared AB because look, all we want to, we want to isolate the A, well there's alpha, beta, epsilon, alpha, beta, epsilon, oh okay, so just the alpha. You're going to divide, same thing, mean squared B, divide by mean squared alpha, beta, or AB rather, the interaction mean squared, and mean squared AB by mean squared error. So the weird thing is we get two different what are called error terms in this kind of design. Error terms are what you divide by analysis of variance. Our first error term is mean squared AB, but then we test mean squared AB with another error term called mean squared error. The nice thing is if when you're playing with SPSS, or a stats package, you can just tell it, is this a random effects model or a fixed effects model, and it'll do the right thing. It'll divide by the right thing. So that's good. What about we have a mixed model with A is fixed and B is random? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, now Dave, does this ever happen? These random effects models or the mixed models? I have only seen a random effects, I've never seen a random effects model, I've seen a mixed effects model in the literature I read extremely rarely during the other question. I, I was going to say, like when I mistakenly went over this part okay. this morning, you yeah. know, that says a lot about how I did on the quiz. Um, <laughs> Your honesty is tremendous, I find, I find it refreshing. Uh, but uh, mixed models, like, if you decided you needed to fix one variable in order to study just one other variable in your design, wouldn't that, then the mixed model make sense? Here's an example, and that's I think is the example that's used in the textbook, so yeah, I think that's where I'm getting this from. A little spoiler alert, I don't read the SAS textbook very often, I know it already, it doesn't change a lot. Um, and I've been using that book for 20 odd years, editions of it. Anyway. Let's say we had, we were interested in tire wear. That's important. And we're interested in different tire compounds. Right? Some tires are harder than others. I don't know if you follow motor, motor racing, one of the big questions every week in Formula One is what, what tires are guys going to race with? So some tires are soft, some are medium, some are hard. That's three levels. Those are the only three levels you're interested in. That's a fixed effect. But let's say we're not racing car drivers. Uh, I don't think any of us are. Anybody here a Formula One race car driver? I don't 
so? That's for stopping is in this class? I don't see Lewis Hamilton anywhere in here. Anyway. Keaton Massiman isn't racing anywhere anymore. Ha uh, ha. Anyway. We have three prior compounds. Three prior compounds. But we have, it's in Canada. We have different cities that have way different climates. Here we get snow. It's still snowy on the ground and minus 24 when I woke up this morning on the 3rd of March. Same province, you go to Windsor, I don't think there's any snow on the ground at all. Go to Vancouver, I don't know, probably raining because that's all that happens there. And we went to, I don't know, let's go to Quarterbrook, uh, Newfoundland, and Labrador, where there's snow up to your head. He said from experience. So maybe in Canada, we would randomly choose, say, three or four cities. That's a random effect. The tire compounds are fixed effects, the three tire compounds, but our three or whatever cities we're going to choose would be random effects. And it would make complete sense to use a random effects model there and randomly choose cities, because we're a tire company. We can't fund researching to have tires perform everywhere. Right? That's the case where you might see it. It's pretty rare in almost any, any sort of life science, in psychology or biology, to ever see anybody use a random effects model completely. It's even pretty rare to see a mixed model. So you're probably going to ask, Dave, why are you telling me this? You'll find out next week. Because there's a very special case where we have a variable that we consider a random variable. But here this is. But here's the weird thing that happens. In this model, A is fixed. If A is the fixed effect, we have the expected value is alpha plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. If B is random, it's beta plus epsilon. And then the interaction is alpha, beta plus epsilon, and of course the error is just error. And that's not a typo. I know it looks like, well, isn't this for mean squared A, isn't that actually the, the same as for random? Yeah. But you said A is fixed, yeah. The math makes it like that, and we don't have to go any further than that, okay? So if one's fixed and one's random, we're going to divide A by mean squared AB and B by error. It's, it's kind of wild, I know, and it, it's counterintuitive, believe me, when I first learned this, I kept looking at the textbook over and over again after I took my notes and I was in class and I was thinking, this has to be wrong. The world can't, but it does work like that. It's kind of a dude, because it, should, it feels like it should work exactly the opposite. Right? But it doesn't. Question? You said you weren't going to go further into it, so I wasn't going to ask. Yeah, go ahead. I can, I can go a little um, bit further. But to me, trying to, to make this make sense conceptually. No, of course. That's, that's, that's what I want to happen. So that's that's how I do. But um, So you're only accounting for, in the calculation, an interaction effect for the fixed variable With a random. because it's fixed. With a random variable. Well, well they, it's interaction. To have two variables act together. Yeah, but your like the calculation for um, uh, the expected yeah, mean expected square that. of a that a is your 
ASR next year. Okay. It'll be, yeah, it's fixed in this, yes, that's right. So we are accounting for the interaction effect in that one specifically because it is? Because it's fixed and the other one's random. Uh, you can just trust me that the math works out this way that behind this. Is there a specific reason? Why do we not account for the interaction with B? Because B. And <laughs> <laughs> ask the dumb question. No, no, it's, it's a good question. Uh, I'm going to have to just say because the math behind this works out that way. It's really okay. way beyond the scope of the course. I can show you after, uh, after class. Well, I, the, the book that I have all the proofs in is at home. I can bring it in if you want to see. Because calculus? Yeah, because calculus, because of random sampling and things like that. Yeah, it's it's sort of a, I've joked before that if you're Catholic, I'm Pope Dave, and I just told you the way the world works. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not going to be a Catholic joke or a Pope joke. But it, it just is. It, there's not a whole lot I can say beyond that. And that's sadly, one of the, one of the, hopefully, one of the few times I have to say that in this course is just it works that way. I know it's annoying. Don't misunderstand me. It, it bothers me because it let, my sort of sense of symmetry is completely blown because it shouldn't work like that. But math does work that way. Yeah, because math is probably the best answer. So in this case, well, well when we think about random fixed effects, what's the deal? Like, what are we, what's the deal with random fixed effects? Jokes as fresh as 30 years ago. So, we're assuming with a random effects model that the levels of the random factor were literally randomly selected and they are independent of each other. Okay? We're assuming that. So what we're usually doing is sort of a kind of random fix, kind of random model, kind of sort of thing, kind of. But it certainly isn't the case when I choose five minutes, one hour, and 24 hours for my rotation intervals that I chose those randomly. I chose those on purpose. They're probably actually not independent. I probably did that for a reason. So we can't assume they're random, so the closest approximation is fixed. You're going to say, hey, wait, 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 wait. Close approximation. I thought all this math had a whole bunch of assumptions. Yeah, but you know what? When you do a bunch of simulations, it turns out the closest thing to reality when you have a variable that's actually fixed, but is it really, like I said, it's sort of halfway in the middle. The closest thing is using a fixed effects model. So unless you randomly chose them or you're assuming they behave like you randomly chose them, your level, you assume they're fixed. So you use the fixed effects calculations. If you really did randomly choose them or you assume they're like you randomly chose them, like let's say we thought of subjects, individuals, as a variable, which we're going to start doing next week. We're going to think of that as a random effect. But we hardly ever use random effects. Well, it just isn't a thing. And in fact, I've, when, it, when it does come up, uh, a couple times when I've been reviewing articles for journals, and I've seen that people are confused by these things. Because this is, it's something that comes up very rarely. And when you suggest to somebody, actually, I'm pretty sure that's a random uh, effect. And people come back and say, yeah, but SPSS said. It's like, no, no, I don't care what it said. 
So the question I'm asking is, did you really randomly select your levels, or did you really, are you really assuming that they're behaving like you randomly selected them? And we do that with subjects, though. We assume that even though we assign subjects, and we, we, we got the subjects, that they're random. Everything, we hardly ever really have random kids. And we never assume, hardly ever we ever assume they're random. Like I said, if we have three different cities in Canada, I think we could make a strong case that that's random. So we end up with this, you know, the summary table. We have different sources of variation, right? Like we have with the regular straight-ups analysis of variance. We have A and B, A by B and error. And then we have our degrees of freedom, levels of A minus 1. So let's say we get three levels of A, so it's going to be 2. Three levels of B, that'd be 2. So for A by B, we would, if we had three and three, we would have four degrees of freedom. For error, it's number of levels of A times number of levels of B times the number of observations per cell minus one. You really want to have, to try at least, to have an equal number of observations in each cell. The math doesn't fall apart without equal observations, it's just that the calculation isn't as simple as A times B times N minus 1. It's just all the N minus 1s in each cell added up together. But if they're all the same, that's just A times B times N minus 1. All designs have a big N minus 1 degrees of freedom. The big N is the total number of observations, and then you subtract 1. You don't worry about how you calculate the sums of squares because something else does that for you. But the mean square is sum of squares divided by degrees of freedom. The F-test is there, but of course, the F-test works like that only for fixed effects models. If we have random effects or mixed effects, how we do the F's change? I can tell you that if I ever give you one of those fill-in-the-blank analysis of variance tables again, when I ever give you one of those again, so it's not an F, Unless I tell you it's random effects, it's fixed effects. And I'm saying that because, frankly, you'll, you're not going to run into random effects hardly ever. You're always going to have fixed effects. Okay? Question about that? So yeah, sure. In order of importance, I guess, or relevance to life, um, well, none of this really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, almost always seeing fixed effects models. Yeah. Occasionally mixed. You and will, almost never random. Yeah, I mean, I've ran into fixed effects models, I would say, like 99.5% of the time when I'm reading the literature. Uh, mixed effects, a couple of times, and I've never seen completely random effects. I've just never seen it. It happens more in. It happens more in things like where you're sampling a whole bunch of different lakes or something. So you might see it in, what do you call it, um, sort of theoretical, sort of like population ecology, things like that, where you're looking at uh, different amounts of, let's say, algae in different, different lakes, and you're choosing different lakes. 
and then you're all kinds of different possible treatments in your throwing to get rid of I don't know some sort of invasive species of algae or some sort of algae bloom. That's the kind of place you see it. Usually, it's field stuff. It's hardly ever lab stuff. It's almost always field work. So you're gonna, you would run into it a lot more in sort of field biology stuff than you're going to run into it in straight up behavioral science like most of us. So in order to get actual random effects, you need a natural setting. More or less, it's more common that way. You don't need it, but you have to. You have to actually either be choosing them randomly or acting like you're choosing them randomly. So when I say acting like, we're going to assume at one point that subjects are a variable, so that you're the Jared level of human, and I'm the Dave level of human, he's the Evan level of human. So it's a subject as a level. Yeah, we're going to we'll get there. Okay. Don't worry about it yet. I'm saying that eventually we're going to start considering subjects as a variable. Thought of applying levels to subjects. No, I know. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a weird way to think, but actually it allows us to do all kinds of cool things. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's one of these cases where, in that case, I mean, we're not random, but it's like it's been chosen randomly in a way. It's, better, it's a better explanation than fixed. Like every time I teach this class, there isn't a Jared in an editing so it's always a Dave. But every time anybody teaches a class in this room, doesn't mean there's a Jared and an Evan and an Dave. If there is, that's weird. And I, there's a whole Twilight Zone angle here that we have to do for So it's hardly ever going to be the case that you're going to see something with a random effects or, or even a, a mixed model. But it will happen. And like I said, as I said, the reason I bring, I have a reason I'm bringing this up. You can make these designs bigger. All good. We're going away from expected values of mean squares and theoretical things. So let's get, let's get a little bit more concrete. Here's an example. This is, in fact, very common. This is a 2 by 2 by 2. We have two levels of A, two levels of B, and then two levels of C. We have group 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So we have different subjects in each group. And I'm just going to keep calling them subjects. I don't care if the NPAs want to be called them participants for all these years. And I have two problems with that. The first problem is, I don't know why the word subject is bad. And the second thing is, we're talking about statistics here, not actual people. <laughs> so when they first changed that from subjects to participants, I was asked by an editor to change the, the, the subjects part of the uh, paper I was writing to, to participants. And I replied, pigeons did not actually fill out a consent form. So I'm not calling them participants. Can we split the difference and call it, use it called the, sec the section animals? They're pigeons. I don't think they're worried about the label I gave them. So, and this is a kind of design. Think about, let's think, okay, remember we had, okay, uh, B1 and B2, so that's different retention intervals. Like uh, five minutes for B1 and uh, one hour for B2. A1 and A2, low level of processing, high level of processing. So low would be counting the number of vowels in a word. And high would be reading the words pleasantness on a scale of 1 to 7. And what would C be? What's something else that affects memory? Uh, C1, group C1, has had zero cups of coffee. Group C2 has had a cup of coffee. That's not a ridiculous design, is it? Like, I mean, that's not, it, it looks complicated there when you think about it. This is not wild, is it? Like, it's something you would run into. And in fact, you might see designs this big if you go to the honors thesis conference when the students present their papers. Um, you might. 
I don't let my students do two by two by, like I don't let them do three way designs because I find it, well I've let a couple over the years, but typically it's like, you're not trying to write, you're not trying to blow the lid off everything, just to answer a simple question. Yep? Oh, what is conference? These conference. It's uh, it's actually I think we're at the end of April, which is too bad. But I think well, it's good for the students because we gave them, I think we gave them a like, whole class and extension already, like past the end of the term, just because they have to collect data. That's rough. But uh, if you're in town, theirs will be publicized. I, I think it's probably before the end of the exam period. I hope so. But I'm not really sure. You can ask Lori or somebody else. So now we have three main effects, A, B, and C. Three two-way interactions, A, B, A, C, and B, C. And we have a three-way interaction, A, B, C. A three-way interaction is when a two-way interaction changes depending upon the level of some third variable. A six-way interaction is when the five-way interactions change because of the level of some sixth variable. A 700-way interaction is the 699-way interactions changes, changes depending upon the level of some 700 variable. Now, the best way to show this is to draw something. Oh, sorry. Well, let's go to the model first. The model gets a little bigger. A little bigger. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus beta gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. And one of the other things that we can't get. So now we have, you know, we have, what do we call it, the, the grand mean, and then we have A, B, C, A, B, A, C, B, C, A, B, C, and error. three-way interaction. So let's just ignore the picture on the, on the right, the panel on the right. Let's just look at the one on the left. It seems that if we look, uh, let's see, we've got uh, an interaction here because look, the effect of A is bigger here at B2 than it is at B1. Right? And then look at the panel on the right, and then here, in fact, it's the opposite. <laughs> A2 is bigger than A1 at B1, but then it flips at B2. So the interactions, the two-way interactions, are different depending upon the level of a third variable. Okay? The two-way interactions are different depending upon the level of a third variable. This is not an uncommon conversation. What if we had two different species and two different retention intervals and two different kinds of stimuli to remember? Right? So you got juncos, chickadees. So that's C1 and C2. And then we got short time, short retention interval, long retention interval, spatial information, color. My whole freedom career is based on three-way interactions. This is not an uncommon kind of thing. 
Now, when it gets to be a four-way interaction, I can't visualize it. Because a four-way interaction means then we would have a D and we have a whole thing like this and then it happens again, but these things change. I'm not saying I can't. I have trouble thinking in four dimensions. And I've never let a student, I've had students say, well, I've got this variable, this variable, this one, and this one. I said, let's, let's get rid of maybe at least one of them and probably two, please. Then we'll go from there. I have seen a four-way interaction in print once that made any sense to me, that I could understand. What, left-handed versus right-handed, women versus men, spatial memory versus verbal memory, I can't, see, I can't remember what the fourth thing was. I never read the thing. Okay, questions about those things? Because I'm going to move on to something here where we're close to me in the end. I know this, is, it's, this stuff gets a little heavy. It starts to get very repetitive and easy to follow after we've introduced all this stuff shortly. So. Okay. Advantage of, the, of these designs. We can study interactions. M many... There's a lot of theories in, 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 in the life sciences in general, psychology in particular, but in biology too, where our theories are about interactions. One of my favorites, I mean, thinking about memory, implicit and explicit memory. Some of you took memory with me last, last year. And you know that implicit memory doesn't really decay very quickly at, at all. An explicit memory decays. Right? Move this up here for a sec, and I can draw you a picture. And again, I'm like the other room. Note how the blackboard or whiteboard actually erases. So, explicit memory is I give you a list of words, and I have you recall the list of words. Implicit memory is I give you a list of words, and then I have you do fill in the blank. So like uh, if one of the words on the list was coffee, and I give you C blank blank, F blank, E blank, you're more likely to fill that in than you are to fill in that, which is cocoa. It's also a brown, warm liquid, which is why I choose that. It doesn't mean that you can't fill that in, but you're more likely to fill in this. This does priming. It's called priming implicit memory. You can take a look at a famous paper by Tulving, Schachter, Stark. Jesus, 1982, I think. And they did one hour, 24 hours, seven day retention. They gave people a list of words. It's not exactly what you'd expect for the explicit, just remembering the words, what words were on the list, you get very quick decay. For implicit memory, which is filling in these blanks, this priming, you get that. It doesn't decay. We can say the same thing about looking at, oh, you want, you want to make this into a three-way interaction? Yes, let's show. Show it. Now let's do this with people who are amnesic, who have got a head injury. Their implicit memory, their explicit memory is down here. They can't remember the words. You know what their implicit memory is? Right up here. 
They're just like us. That's a three-way interaction I just talked about. The two-way two interactions change depending upon the level of the third variable. The third variable is, do you have a massive injury to your, te your temporal lobe? <laughs> but yes or no. But that's a three-way interaction. All of our understanding of, our modern understanding of, of human memory is about a three-way interaction. Okay, or one of the ways we understand small So we study interactions all the time, and these things allow us to do that. A lot of our theories start out with interactions. The reason Tobin Shackler and Stark looked at differences between implicit and explicit memories, they said, you know, we think it's going to be different depending on the retention variable. Let's test that. Like, the theory started out with an interaction. These are relatively simple to interpret. I know right now you're thinking, yeah, you're full of shit, Rod. Back then, it seem so simple to me. But actually, it's not that hard. I think, I hope the example with the implicit and explicit memory shows you that, in fact, when you put names to variables, it's like, oh, okay. Once you've done this a few times, it's actually not that bad. It really isn't. And most of the time, you're going to deal with this. And if you do see, again, the thesis conference, assuming blah, 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 what it is, you'll see that many of the students are looking for interactions. Okay, it affects too, interactions. When you're dealing with complex living things, it's always about interactions of variables. Right? We're not doing physics. We're doing hard science. And by that, I mean it's hard. It's got to be some downsides. Is it fixed, random, or mixed? Which is something we just go, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the thing is, we actually can kind of brush that off because simulation has shown that the best approximation of reality is usually a fixed effect model. And it's only going to be random if it's truly random or something we're treating as random. These things can get really big really fast. So remember we just had, we went from, well, let's, let's go from the simplest, x equals mu plus tau plus epsilon. And then we go to x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. And then we go x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus beta gamma plus alpha gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. Okay. Let's see how big they get. Let's have a four-factor design, which again, as I said, I think I've read one paper and I can't, clearly couldn't even remember it. If I do an end to this sex memory type, I can't remember four variables. It was literally an experiment done by my undergrad stats book. So a four-factor design, and it's got we got four variables, then A, B, C, D. So here's the model. Here we go. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus gamma plus delta plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus beta gamma plus alpha delta plus beta delta plus delta gamma plus alpha beta, sorry, alpha delta gamma plus beta delta delta gamma plus alpha beta delta plus alpha beta gamma plus alpha beta gamma delta plus epsilon. Ugh! Abbreviation. Exponential growth. 
Well, not quite exponential, but they, it's almost exponential. It's, 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 it doubles minus one. Okay. Yeah, but it's very close to exponential. I should wear my heart rate monitor when I say that. Kind of isn't working, it's slower. That's big, right? So now we have 15 F tests to do. We have to do an F for A, B, C, D, A, B, A, blah, 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 all these up to here. And there's a, one of our other That's a lot. And again, so if we threw in, what we have, A, B, C, D, if we threw in a variable E, we now have E itself, and then it interacting with all of those possible terms. So this gets a little difficult to interpret. Even. Remember I said the other day about ordinal and disordinal interactions, and that the order of main effects is preserved, but I call that an ordinal interaction, I can, I can interpret it. Do you think it's okay to interpret a four-way interaction in the presence of a five-way interaction? I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what I'd do if I had a design like that. I'd break it into different experiments. I'd break it into different experiments. Or I'd figure out which maybe two of the variables I can get rid of. Yeah, I don't think I want to do those. So these things get very big, very fast, and they, like you said, almost exponential growth. They basically double minus one. Basically, or they they, they, they they double minus one. So the only thing you don't get is another one of these. These you get all of these plus one. You lose this, and you don't get that. So you double minus one. You want to do fifteen F tests? Not that you would do it. The computer would do it, but you want to try to interpret that. I don't. I don't, and I've been doing this since 1988. That's, I'm thinking when I started graduate school, is when I started, I figured people say that's, that's when I started being assigned. So before that, I was just a punk kid. That's really hard. They can get very big very fast. 'Cause I'm fine with stopping now. I know this is very heavy. There's a lot of things being thrown in your head. Sorry. Is there a table of that? A table of this? Yeah. Well, in your slides. I can't remember. I went all the way to the end. A table heavy like an F table? Uh yeah. So, like so you, you would have source of variation A, B, C, D. Yeah, it would be have it would have all these terms, right? It would have A, B, C, D, A, B, A, C, B, C. AD. And again, I well, I can work out the expected values of mean squares if I had to, probably, if they were you know, fixed and random. Um, no, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's the first thing, because it would provide very little entertainment value. Evan? Um, just 
just the end of the first line there, that A and then the next one, they're supposed to be together, right? Oh, yeah, alpha and delta, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I've literally, I, I, and I kid you not, I made this slide here, I made this slide up in uh, 2010, I think, and I never noticed that. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, I will fix it. Right, this used to all be on overheads. Because stats, I mean, and then I finally figured out how to write Greek letters. It's like, okay, podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.